Before we dive back into the American political circus, a few thoughts. If you are not otherwise distracted and can follow along in the text below the audio line, you'll find important links and footnotes. You'll also find buttons and possibly ads for paid affiliates. The biggest is Poe River. You'll find your P4B gear there and lots of other stuff. This is how your lovely author keeps himself supplied with spam and SpaghettiOs. I end every segment saying we live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. If you agree with what you see here, or you would like to argue against it, share it with others. This is not a private conversation. Hit the share button. If you are a subscriber, please feel free to forward the emails that you receive about each episode to anyone. Members of Substack can use Substack Notes to make extended remarks for or against anything I have here. But do participate. Use the comments section liberally. By that I mean a lot, not like a lefty. I'm kidding. We encourage dissenting opinion here. Then we demolish it. Again, kidding, sort of. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. This is indeed the Political Party Pooper Playbook, the P4B. Today's episode, Angelina Jolie, golf, baseball, stupid judges, plus... You need to stop and listen or read this. The government will absolutely abuse this, and you. Let me start this week with an important observation. I was at the supermarket the other day. My eye fell on the cover of one of our nation's premier periodicals, In Touch Magazine. The big headline, Brad and Angelina's Divorce Final. According to this purveyor of pertinent and quality information, Angelina felt defeated. She couldn't afford to keep fighting. One can imagine she might be sad and vulnerable right now. Perfect. Now I can swoop in. Angie, darling, if you're a fan of the P4B, and why wouldn't you be, I'm here for you, baby. This is finally our time. Just... Cancel all those restraining orders and I'm all yours. I'll even wash all that underwear I stole from your laundry room hamper and give it back to you. Now that's love. Let's talk about a stupid judge. Have you ever seen old film of the Nazi judges during the Hitler years? I have a four-minute example, a video, in the text. Here we have a politically polluted idiot who routinely turns his, quote, court into a circus of stupidity. A nation that had only a few years before prided itself on its orderly and deliberative application of the law had become this. Now, despite the fact that I'm going to write this paragraph, some readers will comment that I'm calling American judges Nazis. Nazism was a violent political movement. I will not say here the subject is a Nazi, but we now have people in this country who are supposed to be 
responsible jurists who have surrendered reason and legal reality to the latest fad and the whims of their political betters. They're not as loud or as violent as the court video. No one is sending one to camps yet. But we have most assuredly started the slide. A judge doesn't have to be bombastic and shrill to be contributing to the practice of law the way the German, quote, judges did in the 1930s and 40s. He just needs to operate outside of the law and language. He slash she said, she said. The most recent case to demonstrate this slouching toward idiocracy is Westenbrook versus Kappa Kappa Gamma. Here we find a man who couldn't get laid in a woman's prison with a pocket full of pardons. Perhaps, perhaps, that is why he decided to dress like a woman and join a sorority. He gets to hang out with a lot of women with no cock blockers around. His joy was short-lived. He immediately started to creep out his sorority sisters by leering at them and appearing to be aroused. One might safely assume he then got after himself when he was alone. There may also be the possibility that our homely dude did everything in search of a lawsuit. Such suits among the trans community is becoming a cottage industry. Who really knows? Seeing the folly of admitting trans women to the sorority, it was decided that the plaintiff see his way out. The law and language. By hijacking language, making up nonsensical terms out of whole cloth, or applying one term for another, like equity and equality, the left has done untold damage to our society. It has infected thinking throughout our system of governance and law. Instead of intelligent people standing up to the worthless nonsense, lawyers and judges have knelt before the same altar of pseudo-law as the crazy Nazi judges did. The pseudo-law in this case isn't what we saw during the Third Reich, but it is every bit as stupid. In Westenbrook v. Kappa, the judge, Alan Johnson, committed a crime against language and thereby the law. Words mean things. Just because I want a word to mean something else on a whim does not change the meaning of that word or those words in a law. Further, injecting nonsense terms into the law invalidate those same laws until the language used reflects reality as society sees it, not as a few crusaders see it. In his ruling, Johnson first said that Kappa did not clearly define what a woman is when creating their bylaws. This is devoid of reason and legal reality because everyone knows a woman is an adult female, XX. Some people have recently denied knowing this to promote the trans fad. But that's the reality, the known reality. Outside of Never Neverland, there is no requirement for anyone to define what a woman is. As hard as lawyers work to add Byzantine levels of verbiage to their documents, even the worst offenders wouldn't require a legal document to find every word in that same document. This is not and should not be an accepted concept 
Because if it was, the words, quote, I fell into a manhole and broke my leg, end quote, would become an infinite scramble of definitions of definitions of definitions. The document would never end. So, without any other justification than a fad less than two years old, the judge himself challenged the meaning of a word that needs no definition. In a related statement, the judge declared definitively that the court would not decide what a woman is. Well, duh, your honor. That isn't the court's job, so no, it shouldn't do that. But in making a needless statement about what the court would not do, reason demands that the sorority has no obligation to define the commonly known either. So his previous findings have no meaning in this case. Put another way, his words argued the defendant's case for them because he refused to do what he complains they didn't do. And based on that, Johnson ruled for the plaintiff. This is 180 degrees out from reality. Judge Johnson was obviously out sick the day they were teaching law in law school. What concerns me in this case is that Alan Johnson isn't alone in his destruction of jurisprudence in Wyoming or the United States. We have a Supreme Court justice who pretended, while under oath, not to know what a woman is because of the fad. We have people being told to use nonsensical terms and pronouns that the Constitution insists they not be required to because of the fad. We have frivolous lawsuits being filed by school districts against the wishes of parents to keep graphic depictions of recreational oral sex in front of grade school kids. And these cases are not being tossed out with prejudice because of the fad. We have legislators creating laws that strip parents of their legal rights if they refuse to allow their kid to be mutilated by quacks because the fad. For the record, I will say that last one runs dead parallel to the Nuremberg Laws and mass sterilization ordered by the courts. There is no linguistic parsing here. They are morally identical. But this is all happening because the children are at the legal switch. And those who know better lack the requisite sack to smack the kitty's hands away. Confessions of a Duffer. How many golfers do we have out there? I'm betting a bunch. As cliche as it sounds, I can teach anyone to golf. Just the basics and they'll do well. But I cannot golf. I don't go out often and I have a sickening slice. This year I attended a golf weekend with my sons and some friends. 
It was beyond horrible. I seriously considered giving my clubs away. Some people were not meant to swing a club. Inspiration from a baseball legend. During this soul-searching, I happened across a Netflix documentary, Facing Nolan. It's hard to imagine, but after being in the major for several seasons, Nolan Ryan was getting ready to quit baseball altogether. He decided baseball was just not what he was meant to do. The documentary compared the young Nolan to Nuke Lelouch. Ryan had a cannon for an arm, but he was all over the place. When he wasn't striking a player out, he was hitting the bleachers. His wife convinced him to stay and keep going. Before he was finally done, after 27 seasons, he held 51 major league records, not all of them good. But he was the very definition of baseball. Not only did he strike out some of the biggest names in the game, he went on to strike out their sons years later. I believe he was 44 when he pitched his seventh no-hitter. When I think of Nolan Ryan, my attitude toward golf is kind of embarrassing. It's important in that golf is where I spend most of my uninterrupted time with my sons. So I set my mind to fixing my game. I can't say it's going well. I've collected tons of advice from pros. I do all the drills required to eliminate a slice. I practice the drills and ball contact against a net in my backyard. I drill again at the driving range and then start smacking balls. Right now, from my last two visits at the local range, there are about 150 out of 200 balls in the trees to the right of the 150-yard marker. I'll spare you the details. At the new post range in Fredericksburg, I did a bit better. 150 balls and two visits, but I lacked power. I set a goal of eliminating my slice by 12 October when I meet the boys for another golf weekend. I just want to get through a round without tripping over my driver and drooling on myself. Wish me luck. Now, this is a subject near and dear to my heart. I like to make sawdust. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I have been working in a wood shop for over 40 years now. Um, my first project was a dining room table. It was the ugliest thing you ever saw in your life. It was a big piece of plywood with the little legs that you screw in the bottom, a little bit of cheap trim, and what was supposed to be cherry stain. It, it turned out to be this ugly orange table. And when you put a jug of milk on it, everybody had to wait for the table to stop wobbling before they could eat again. It was awful. But, and I've said this to people before, who have, who, people all the way, way back when, who saw that table, if I had never built that table, I never would have built a bedroom set for my son, Ken. And I never would have built a four-poster black walnut bed for Phil. And Pat wouldn't have gotten his living room set. These are all things that came out really good that I built later because I stuck with it. But the learning curve was brutal. All my drawings were in my head. Uh, anything that was on paper looked like cave drawings that only I would understand. So I came across a program 
that I wish I had seen a long time ago. Ted's Woodworking Resources, it includes 16,000 plans. I've seen people who would sell plans for, say, Anirondack shares for 10 bucks, 20 bucks. Worth it. If you can, if you can get a plan for an Adirondack chair for 20 bucks and do it the way the plan says you do it, you can make those things and make a lot of money or you can make a lot of gifts. You can decorate your lawn. To, to pay a few bucks for a set of plans is fine. This is 16,000 plans. So I would definitely, if you're a woodworker and you want to bring the joy back, just, the, just making the sawdust, ripping through the tools, getting the job done and getting that satisfaction, you definitely need to check out Ted's Woodworking. I would absolutely highly recommend it. I'll leave a button or a link in the text below the audio or video line. And now for the main event. You've seen me both quote and argue with Peter Zahan many times here. I'm sure my most loyal readers are saying, what, again? I do this because I think most of his numerical and reason observations are extremely valuable. But when he strays into the political, I find he is often an apologist for some really dangerous shit. I feel compelled to push back in these instances because so many people do listen to him. When he yawns and tells us not to worry about seriously batshit stuff, I know there are folks out there saying, well, if Zayn says ESG is nothing to worry about, well, then I guess it must be okay. Today, 31 August, he released a video which speaks rather well of central bank digital currency, CBDC. RFK was right. Just to jump the tracks for a minute, Robert Kennedy Jr. recently gave an interview where he said the first rule of politics is that once you give the government a certain power, you'll never get it back. He said the second law of politics says that if a government can abuse that power, they absolutely will. Since Ben Franklin's warning of people voting treasure unto themselves, we have proven RFK Jr.'s observation again and again. Since FDR's first term, the execution of both concepts have been policy, accrue more and more central power, then wildly abuse it. I want you to keep RFK's words in mind as we continue here. But it's free! One of the things Zahan hit pretty hard this morning was the fact that the CBDC would act as a pay service. It would work like a checking account or a debit card or PayPal. But it would be free. So everyone would eventually move to it. Eventually all pay services would be driven from the market. Problem number one. Everyone would move to it. That is the intent. And not because the Fed is operated by a swell bunch of guys who just want to see smiles on all of our faces. More on that later. Problem number two. It would put all the other guys out of business. When you have just one of something, servicing everybody, and that something goes down, don't be stupid, yes it will, everything stops. 
a small glitch in the thing that pays for everything, and the damage would be in the billions in seconds. We already have a government that thinks we need to put all our eggs in one basket when it comes to food, energy, education, and on and on. Example, they want us to go electric everything. Cars, trucks, farm equipment, buses, cooking, heating, you name it. If it's mechanized or hot, they want it plugged into the grid. The blind idiocy of this idea is self-evident. There was a crazy ice storm in Virginia in 2006. It was cold as balls, and the power was out for days. But we got through it rather well. We had a gasoline generator, a propane grill, and a fireplace. We cooked the Christmas turkey on a grill. It was awesome. It ended up being a pretty great holiday. If we had all electric appliances, and maybe one of those cheese dick electric fireplaces with a stupid pretend fire, we'd have been in real trouble for six days. Similarly, you don't want fewer means of transferring funds. You want as many as you can find and trust. And you want good old cash. Value-backed currency would be best, but the government pretends that would be impossible. An earlier abuse. Thanks, Tricky Dick. So fiat dollars would be better than all electronic. And of course, we would be creating a situation without competition. Does anybody not know what happens when you remove competition from any activity? Okay. For the truly slow, quality absolutely goes down, as does the responsiveness of the new monopoly. This is an absolute. Just because it is to be run by the Fed and the government doesn't change that absolute. It guarantees it. We're talking about the government here. If you need to understand the pig ignorance of that, ask 100 IRS agents a question about your taxes. You'll get at least 50 unique answers. And you'll have no way of knowing which one is correct. Nobody does. That too is intentional. And folks like Peter want us to turn over all of our financial transactions to these people. One man's ESG is another man's SCS. Zion is dismissive of people who say the CBDC will be a means to control people through the denial and provision of their own money by the Fed. His dismissal is either obtuse or misguided. But it's not well-founded. For one thing, he says it would take a huge staff of people to make that work, and the Fed is small. Well, for starters, just to make the thing work as designed, without abuse, we'll take a huge number of IT, clerical, and administrative people to keep it going. But keep RFK's words in mind, if you can abuse it, right? It won't take a massive army of people to make it all work. To wring all the control the CBDC will present the government with would require a rather light application of artificial intelligence. AI would be used to monitor transactions. The government will have the program throttle people's money automatically. Zion says, no, 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 the Chinese did that because they married credit and services and purchasing power to the social credit score. Yes! And our ESG is a copy of SCS.
The government, with the happy cooperation of cronies in the financial industry, already has companies jumping through ESG hoops with the threat of lowering their credit dangling over their heads. But why do they do that? Because they can do that, of course. They are already fucking with companies and banks and thereby people's 401ks through the intended abuse of ESG. Hey, they have phony social agendas they need to push through. ESG is the truncheon they'll use to do it. So philosophically, we already know the government, with the full cooperation of the Fed, just a collection of crony banks that work entirely by government mandate, will absolutely abuse money in the way the CBDC will allow them to. This is why they want everybody on it. This is why it's, quote, free. When it's the only game in town, that's when the fun starts. The government will link your CBDC account to your social media, what you purchase, your electric smart meter, car choices, and who the hell knows what else to your ESG score. With the use of AI and as many people as they want to employ, Uncle Stinky will snag your money faster than a stick man at a craps table. Say something critical about men pretending to be women on social media. An algorithm will trigger a report. Your CBDC account will immediately be flagged and the value of your account will drop just a tiny little bit. Perhaps your credit score will take a hit. Say something about the regime, the way I do routinely, and the next day when you visit your local gun store, you may find it impossible to spend your money there. No guns or ammo for you. It may not shake out exactly as I described, but it will happen. You will be manipulated. But how do I know this type of thing will happen? Remember RFK's rule. If they can abuse power, they absolutely will. This is why we need to be stripping power from the federal government wholesale and from the executive branch especially. Instead, we are rocketing through programs that will provide them with immense power over all of us. What kind of layman celebrates this? How blind do you have to be to not see it? Now, here's the main point about quote, everybody getting in, end quote. Zihan said correctly that very quickly everybody would jump into CBDC because it is free. Eventually, all other pay services will be knocked out of business. The short-sighted will think, well, I hate my credit card service. It would be great to see them go under and still have a way to pay my bills that's, quote, free. Think for a minute. People who offer us bill-paying services are, with few exceptions, the people who loan us money. Your credit card company loans you money every time you tap or swipe. Take away the need for a credit card, and now, if you want to buy something on credit, who is loaning you the money? It will eventually be the same people who control its value and availability. Remember, the government already threatens companies who don't have high ESG scores. Do you doubt for a second, when they control every aspect of cash and credit, that they wouldn't ruin you 
for disobedience or political disloyalty? Let's take it all the way to its logical conclusion. Here's another prediction requiring no clairvoyance to divine. Credit cards are a huge source of income for financial companies. Without them, the entire industry will be severely weakened. Bigs would easily buy out the small. The entire market would slowly gravitate to CBDC and those who control it, as they did with the insurance industry under the epically absurd Obamacare, the government will pick winners from the well-connected supporters of ESG and CBDC. These people will be the titular lenders of the new, quote, market. A few banks and loan agencies at a time will quietly be swallowed up by the Fed banks and other, quote, winners. They'll still have their shingle hanging and their letterheads will remain, but they will no longer exist in real terms. They will, for a few years, be sham companies representing the government's CBDC window. For a short while, the government will allow their executives and brokers to be paid, quote, commissions and bonuses, as if they were actually competing against others, but they won't be. They will be window dressing, drones. Every dime of your paycheck, your retirement, fees for your services, and all of your credit, all of it, will go through the government's hands, and the algorithm and monitoring will churn away in the background. But, you say, this would be impossible. The people wouldn't stand for it. No. Well, that would depend on how many people were willing to give up all their electronics and live like Luddites. Your shackles will be your cell phones. The prison wire will be CCTV on every street. Your TV, Siri, and Alexa will be the prison goons. Hell, they already are. Coming next week, there are dozens, perhaps hundreds of things the government does to you under the aegis of ESG and the Federal Reserve. Green scams, monitoring, indoctrination, printing money, insane spending, denial of biological reality, and all the subsets of these issues that you can imagine and probably some we can't even imagine. But I don't like coming to you with only problems. I like to bring solutions as well. So next week, we'll discuss potential choices we have to fight back against what promises to be the biggest issue or issues of our time. Be sure to use all the buttons at the top and bottom of the text. We live and die by the share and subscribe buttons. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com. Thank you very much for joining us today.